Hello and welcome to the Defo Football Podcast. I am Joe and I'm joined today by Alex Stewart. Hello Alex. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, how are you? I am well. Let's talk about football, football, football. Uh, the first thing on the registrar today is uh, Manchester City-Liverpool. And of course this happened uh, a long time ago now in football time. Mm. There's been plenty of FA Cup fixtures since. the whole of the third round. Indeed, there's less. been seven Manchester City goals since. Yes, that's uh, true. But we're not going to talk about those because it doesn't matter when it's in the cup. It doesn't matter. The cup doesn't matter. The it cup's doesn't dead. Matter. You know what I saw earlier? Unless though, you're an Oldham fan. This is an interesting one. I'll tell you what, let, let me talk about this for, for, for two seconds. Go I'll on. ask you this, right? Okay. I saw a tweet earlier. It was Duncan Alexander of Opta, of mm. Opta fame, uh, who said, some, making some comment about uh, the sort of constant suggestions that the FA Cup should revive itself. Uh, and uh, I think he was also referring to Leicester City resting players and perhaps getting some criticism for that. Uh, but he made the point, I think that it was in the last 23 years... Uh, only two times has a team that isn't United, City, Chelsea, Arsenal or Liverpool won the FA Cup. Mm. So it made me think that the, the, the suggestion that adding, uh, uh, or replacing the sort of fourth place Champions League uh, playoff position in the Premier League as a, as a reward and putting it for the winner of the FA Cup, for example, uh, wouldn't make any sense because it wouldn't make any difference. I think I think if you're to make the smaller teams try harder, but I think that I think the smaller teams try hard anyway, and there there are various reasons for it. It's interesting. So I went I went to the Fulham Oldham game yesterday, and I was talking to my friend Matt, who's an Oldham fan, afterwards, yeah. and saying for the um, for the next round, you know, having beaten Fulham, that's brilliant. Would you rather get like a Barnet, where there's a decent chance of winning? Or would you rather be away at Man United or Arsenal? And he said, without question, Man United or Arsenal. Because the money that would come from that, particularly due to the fact that season ticket holders at those clubs have to purchase FA Cup tickets, Mm -hmm. even if they want to then resell them, the, the money can then go into Oldham to push for promotion back to League One, having been relegated last season. That is considerably more important. So the FA Cup... I think I think everybody's cynical about the FA Cup. If you're a smaller club, it's mm. about gate receipts. If you're a bigger club, it's potentially about winning or getting out at the right sort of time. Yeah. Having said that, if you're in the stands as I was yesterday with the Oldham fans when they beat Fulham, that was an incredible moment. Did they have a lovely time? They had a lovely time, mm. and and that's that's not the sort of thing that can happen otherwise. Outside they, of never, they never have a lovely time outside <laughs> of the I, thought, I mean, they're Oldham fans. Um, <laughs> so I think it's one of those things where, yes, all of the conversation around it can be quite cynical and mm. can be quite concerned. But then when you're actually there and it's actually happening and you get a result like that, mm. it feels as magical as anything else. I tell you what, we've got a lovely script upcoming on the magic of the FA Cup mm. and why it ain't so magical no more. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't detract from that experience of, of sure. you know, an upset, a giant killing, whatever you want to call it. If I was there, I could have, I could have detracted. From well, yeah, it, but you're yeah. a miserable. Anyway, the, the the game that we're going to talk about first, of course, as I mentioned, is Manchester City Liverpool. Uh, it has been quite a long time, but it was a big game, and it could be the sort of game come the end of the season that uh, presents itself to us as the biggest game, the most pivotal point. In the season, of course, Manchester City reduced the gap to four points. Uh, lots of discussion before the game and indeed after that. Had they not won, 
It might have been curtains. I mean, that's ten, a ten point gap. Probably would have been curtains, right? With the way the Liverpool are playing, yeah, very difficult to uh, surmount. I think, yeah. I, I mean, it's. I mean, it doesn't matter, but City have City have certainly lost games that you or a couple of games that you might have expected them to win. Uh-huh. I mean, to be fair, probably the only, and I think Klopp said this afterwards, you know, for him, City away is the hardest game of the whole season. And for City, Liverpool away, the hardest game of the whole season. So um, with a team like City, there's, because of how they performed last season, there's an expectation that they will just steamroller over everybody else. Uh-huh. And I think it's been shown that that's not the case. Can I ask you then, do you think, uh, obviously Liverpool have improved. Yes. And and we've talked about that before. There are various reasons for that. Is it more a case that Liverpool have come up to the level of Manchester City last season? Or have Manchester City also potentially worsened? I think it's both. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that City, obviously, De Bruyne's been injured for the best part of the season so far Uh, I think he's slowly coming back but Fernandinho's absence as well created significant issues and they've had issues at left back too Um, so the the depth of the squad has perhaps been exposed slightly particularly in that defensive midfield position Uh, Liverpool, on the other hand, have improved. They have, uh, I think they've been tactically more astute under Klopp this season. They haven't been as frenzied uh, in terms of their pressing the whole time. They've used 4-2-3-1 as a variant more often. Although not against City. Although not against City. But Shaqiri has done really, really well. And then their their signing policy is is very astute. Shaqiri was picked up for next to nothing from a relegated side mm. uh, as was Robertson um, as was Wijnaldum mm-hmm. back way back when um, yeah. so you know I think I think Klopp you know the, these managers like Klopp and to a degree managers like Guardiola it does take time for them to hit a peak and to get everybody buying into what they're doing to be able to shape the squad and you're seeing that come to fruition with Liverpool coincidentally at the time when City have had enough problems to put a slight hiccup in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to ask who will actually win the title come the end of the season is, I mean, it's kind of a fool's errand, really. Yes. The Times did a thing on Saturday about it, um, and they all the, the four Times writers all went for City, I think, <clears throat> which I think is premature. Yeah, I would say I. Yeah, don't, still four points behind. I don't know. It's probably the best answer to that yeah. question. But what's interesting as well is, is I suppose that this is in the in the league. This is the last time that, that City and Liverpool will play each other. There's a four point gap. There's no more opportunity to to decrease that by by playing Liverpool. Yeah. So they are going to have to they're going to have to go for. Uh, well, it's a fingers crossed game now, isn't it? You ha- you have to hope that Liverpool drop points if you're Manchester City. So I think it is premature to to yeah. say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that there's still that there's still a contest. Let me talk to you. I'll ask you about the game specifically. Mm. Um, the first goal came sort of towards the end of the first half. Sergio Aguero. Um, it was a lovely goal. Lots of people were talking about it. There's two things that that I thought about it. The first is that it, there wasn't much more. You can't really criticise Liverpool that much uh, for the goal. You, it's it's one, and it, we spend a lot of time talking about tactics and the way that teams set up and what teams are hoping to do. Uh, in terms of their in terms of their play throughout a game, but there are moments in games 
that just can't be accounted for mm. and no tactical system is, is going to stop them. This In this case, Aguero is an incredibly tight angle, near post shot, the goalkeeper's already there. It looks, to you know, to, to any striker below his grade, it looks like it's, it's a half chance, you know, less than. And uh, he scores an incredible goal. Yeah. Um, so the, I suppose what I'm saying is up to that point, it's, it's it, just before half time, it could have gone either way. Liverpool had chances before then as well. And it's not, it wasn't really uh, the fault of a tactical system, wasn't it? It wasn't really the fault of individual errors. No, I think it was, it was two teams. Football happened. At, at football Liverpool. happened. Yeah. Um, two teams who, who understood each other or understand each other really well. They, they did make some tweaks. Um, so, for example, we saw Aguero dropping very deep to contest in midfield quite a lot rather than staying up as a focal point. We saw that City's forward pressing was slightly different. So Bernardo Silva was pressing through the centre. Aguero was dropping onto the right-hand side. I think that was probably to relieve the likelihood of... Uh, or, or to, to sort of bunch up a little bit on the left um, to protect Laporte because Danilo is more comfortable and natural in, in the wing-back position. Also, an awful lot of their attacking looked like it was happening down the left. Yes. Yeah. Um, is that is that a... Is that a result of burdening over on the left, or is that is have you seen that in previous games with City? Um, I think it, well because Sane more often Sane is more direct, he? yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot less cutting in, a lot less cutting in, and and Sterling, Sterling is really good carrying a threat on the right hand side, but he is almost most effective when he finds time to move and end up in the centre, yeah. Unmarked, which is where he gets so many of his goals from. Um, so, I think that does make sense. I think as well, if you're looking to, so the the, the shift that Liverpool went back to the four three three. You were saying before we recorded this that it it left. Uh, Why did they Trent Alexander Arnold slightly exposed? Because um, presumably Klopp knew that that was going to happen, right? Yeah, that, that, I think that, that, it, that's it was, not an unforeseen consequence of doing that. So, what are the positives of doing that? Uh, I think it was probably to try and match the midfield three area, right? Um, because I mean, he went for that much more functional, much more destructive yeah. midfield three. Um, because I think he was understands Milner, Henderson, and Wijnaldum. Wasn't yeah, it? he understands that you need to be able to track those runs from Bernardo Silva and David Silva forwards, David Silva forwards. Um, and you also need somebody to try and get in on Fernandinho. And if Firmino is dropping off and one of the other midfielders is pushing up, that that seeks to kind of squash Fernandinho's ability to control the tempo of play right. building out from the back. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Um, you wouldn't really want to go, particularly in a away game, you wouldn't want to go for the more attacking 4-2-3-1. Yeah. Partly because I think it would end up, from a defensive perspective, it would end up kind of having to look like a 4-4-1-1, which is a bit pointless because then you're losing your edge. Well, also presumably Firmino would have to drop back quite a lot to support the midfield pivot. Yes, yeah. uh, and and he's not... I mean, he's he's a great deeper link player, but he's not in the same way that Aguero will kind of put himself about and win challenges yeah. in that area and cause stress for midfielders Firmino is not like that he's more of a kind of languid link player he's a ghost 
He's very good. Mm. I mean, that's, that's not a criticism, mm. but you're not asking the same type of player to drop off and contest in that way. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what Klopp did made perfect sense. Um, but it did leave Trent Alexander-Arnold a little bit exposed on the right-hand side. Yeah. Milner was having to come across a lot, but yeah. then worried about where David Silva was and tracking those runs. So it, it meant that Sane was able to have quite a lot of space on the left-hand side and and attack that way. Plus, it's another, you know, Guardiola does like doing that thing where you you shift, and, and it was noticeable, particularly in the first half when City were attacking, that 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 so much of the play was on the left-hand yeah. side that the the right-hand side was wide, yeah. wide open. And whenever Sterling got the ball, he was an awful lot of space. Huge amounts of yeah. space. And that is a classic kind of thing, a positional play to, mm. to seek to overload one side and then suddenly drag the play back on the other side. Okay, well, let's talk about Fernandinho. And this is pro- probably by now a bit of an over-discussed topic. I, I find these, these sorts of situations quite funny because Fernandinho will go from the underappreciated player to the player whom all of the large Twitter accounts start tweeting about us. Is but he the we, most... We, uh... said this, we said this last season. Oh, no, no, of course. I'm not, I'm not doubting our credentials. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that, you know, in the space of a week, you have the irony of a situation where uh, huge sort of fan Twitter accounts are, are asking if uh, Fernandinho is like the most underappreciated player. <laughs> if everyone's tweeted about this today, I don't know if that counts as underappreciated. No. And he certainly shouldn't be because, you know, it seems to be even more this season. And I, what would be interesting, if we'd, if we'd had more time today, we could have gone back to look at those, the last few fixtures uh, that Manchester City struggled in and lost, right? Mm. And it is, of course, no coincidence that Fernandinho was missing how much of an impact that made and and spe- the specific um the uh, the specific reasons for that is something we probably don't have time to go into but um it's it's quite clear isn't it that he's probably Manchester City's most important player in in, in, in the that sense regard, that there's yeah. no replacing him yes not that not i mean position we could we could say a different conversation is to, is to question whether positionally within Guardiola's system that's the most important position but in terms of squad members, given that there is no direct replacement for Fernandinho, hmm. he is the most important player. And I'm going to quickly move this. Can you tell me if that is? That's looking. Yeah, that's that yeah, that's on me. Okay, there's nothing on me. Um, he's the most irreplaceable player. Let's yeah. Say. Well, I think, and, what... and just explain to me why, because it. Sorry, I'm just I'm gathering my thoughts. It's obviously he's in the middle of the pitch, right? We know that, <laughs> and we know that everyone else likes to go forward, and yeah. we know things like he's got lots of good positional awareness, so he mm. makes good tackles and stuff. But that's that's not just what he does. It, to describe him just as a defensive midfielder yeah. is not accurate, is it? No. So he he kind of does everything. He does. He's he's not as creative from deep as say Busquets was. But he does have that ability. When he came from Shakhtar, he was more of a 10 almost. Mm. And, and because of his, I think probably because of his physical ID, you know, his his height, his um, stamina, he got moved back to the defensive role. But he still is able to play those kind of passes. He does various things. He sets the tempo a lot. Um, so one of the things that City will will not do is kind of go helter-skelter forwards uh, and and just attack straight away necessarily. And and Fernandinho is the guy who kind of almost acts as a cutout between 
the defensive phase of the build-up and the attacking phase of the build-up and, and decides to a degree whether it's when you go forwards or not. Um, I think obviously there's, you know, there's the screening of the defenders and, and that the obvious elements of his game. But I think it is that ability to assess the situation and work out, you know, is this somewhere where we need to start recycling possession? Is this one of those situations where I can launch a long pass forward to a Sané or a Sterling? Is it an opportunity for me to carry the ball forwards? Mm-hmm. And, and that's why he is kind of the, the Busquets of that team. Because he, ta- he takes quite a lot position. of shots as well. I mean, it's not unusual to see him appearing at the edge of the box and, and having a pop. No, but that's that's also because by default, he's moving up to that position to, to establish that kind of first defensive line. Yeah ahead of the centre-backs. I think one of the things that surprised me about City was that that the injury to De Bruyne had less of an impact than I had expected it to have. And that's partly testament to how good De Bruyne is in that he he fits into that system and performs that role so well that you almost can't envisage the team functioning the same way without him. But Bernardo Silva has come in and been amazing. Hard to drop. So... Right. So in that regard, like you said, you know, it's it's as much about how that player functions and what their specific abilities are as it is is that replicable in yeah. somebody else within the squad. Yeah. And probably the most well the two most natural replacements for Fernandinho would either be someone like Fabian Delph as a kind of destroying shuttling midfielder. Yeah. Or someone like Gundogan, who can play that deeper role, but as a playmaker. But but they wish they'd kept James Milner. Uh, <laughs> well, possibly, yeah. That wasn't that was only half a joke. No, I, do, I don't I don't think it is a joke. But I, I mean, Milner doesn't quite have the same physicality. Um, but Fernandinho is one of those guys who can do all those different bits, and crucially, and most importantly, not just can do it, but by and large, decides correctly when to do which bit. Mm. So, okay, and, tell me this then, right? Because yeah. we know he's good. We know he's important. We know he's right? good. Everyone, everyone, says, everyone says it, Alex. He's important. We know that, right? Yeah. He's 33 or 34 years old. Yeah. Uh, the other big talking point regarding Fernandinho is, as we mentioned previously, the lack of a natural replacement currently within the squad, or at least the lack of a replacement to replicate the job that he is doing as well as he does it. Yeah. And we've seen that from fixtures in which he's been missing. Where do, Man- where do Manchester City look to replace him? Who, who, who in the world of football is available to replace him that is not uh, a similar age, that is not already embedded at, a, at a, the club they're going to stay up for the rest of their career, for example? Because that type of player is quite rare. Having said that, if you and I had sat down and talked about Fernandinho when he was still at Shakhtar, and we, we would be very unlikely to have said that he would have fit this role perfectly, oh, right? no. <clears throat> and, I, and I think anybody who says that they, they would have assumed that mm-hmm. is, is talking bollocks. So, um, is there anyone currently playing that you can point to who Manchester... Because presumably, this is what... You know, Tiki Bergenstein and the rest of them are going to be thinking. Yeah, where, where do we go? Where do we go? Where do who, we go? Who do we replace him with? Can I tell you that next week? <laughs> sure. Because I'll, I'll look into it properly. Because okay, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting. Well, is, there's a video in that. Who replaces Fernandinho? There's a video in it because it's not just answering the question, but it's actually how do you go about answering that question mm-hmm. that to me is quite interesting. Okay. And well, we'll so talk there, about there that are next some week. things that yeah, I'll, I'll I'll look into that. 
I suppose the only other thing to say, I mean, would you want? Would you like to talk a little bit more about Liverpool before we move on? Uh, still four points ahead, as you said. You think it's probably a bit preemptive to to you know think that this is Manchester City's title to lose now. I mean, technically, it's the opposite. Um, I yes, I look, I think there's there's obviously Champions League football is gonna not necessarily get in the way for both of them, but um, I think particularly they they both clubs have got drivers to succeed in the Champions League mm-hmm. in the sense that Man City, I think, will always be judged as as falling short until they win the Champions League, however well they do in the Premier League. And Liverpool have got last season's catastrophe to get over. Sure, but they, they, I, I often think also that Liverpool are still in the position of being judged for sort of being overachievers almost you know as you said you could well, com- compare that and contrast that to, to what you're talking about with Manchester City that, Pep Guardiola and all it's only money. a relative thing it totally is it's, 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 it's complete perception I'm not saying yeah. that but I think as you said there, there, there tends to be a sense with Manchester City under Guardiola that unless they win the Champions League it's a kind of disappointment yeah. with Liverpool it's, it's the opposite right I mean the oh, further they go the happier, I, I'm not saying that these are sensible things to think no of course but I'm saying that they are things that will be thought it's a reflection of the sort of perception of the of the football viewing public well no I think I think with the City issue I think it's probably a perception of City themselves I think they feel that mm. um, and that's why they hired Guardiola well not... it took what it took Abramovich nine years I yeah. 2012 under Roberto Di Matteo, which was a complete fluke. It was a bit. Yeah. And 2003, was it that Abramovich took over? I think it was. Yeah. So how long has uh, 2007 did... When did uh, Sheikh Mansour buy City? 2007? Yeah. So it's been 12 years. It's a failure. It's a failure. It's an economic failure. How dare they? Uh, I think I think Liverpool are, in some regards, the Fernandinho uh, in the sense that, where are you going with this? That that basically, depending on which way the wind blows, Liverpool are either overachieving because they aren't City, uh. or they're underachieving because they've spent money. Klopp's been there for three years now. Blah 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 blah. I thought you were going to say that Liverpool were like the Fernandinho in the sense that when they're not around, Manchester City aren't very good. Like they need a yin to their yang. Well, we did. I mean, we said when we did the video on Klopp and uh, Klopp and Guardiola. Was it earlier this season we did that? It was. That 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 was going to be the defining rivalry in a way that that Guardiola and and they push each other on. Yeah, I think Mm. they do. Um, I love a rivalry. Haven't got one currently. Looking, I'm on the lookout for one. So if anyone out there listening would like to be my rival. Okay. Rival for what? I don't, you know, any of that don't mind. Okay. Don't mind. Um, okay. Well, that's interesting. And uh, I'm pleased there's a title race back because 10 points clear. It would have felt a little bit disappointing, wouldn't it? So uh, one more time, who's going to win the league? Liverpool. Yeah. Okay. I like that too, uh, but I'm not foolish enough to give an answer to that question. Uh, let's talk about Manchester United now because we haven't spoken about them since, uh, well, it all happened since Jose Mourinho left, since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer arrived. Uh, five games in, five wins deep, lots and lots of goals. Paul Pogba looks like a football player again. Yeah. Um, it's, it's remarkably, given that he's been pushed up into the 10 role, where we said he should play. Stop patting ourselves on the back. We shouldn't We shouldn't pat ourselves on the back <sighs> yeah, on the podcast. But... It's, it's very crude. It feels very... Uh, I, 
it feel like it was exhibiting ourselves or something. No, put I, your pants back on and tell me about the football. My pants are on. Mm. Um, no, I, I think I think it does feed into that because I think what Solskjaer has done is probably the most sensible thing that a new manager can do. Which is what? Which is to look at his squad and think. <clears throat> What's the best place that I can put these people? Because yeah. he obviously, okay, he, he well, does have the January transfer window. Can but... I interject and say what I think Solskjaer's done, which is the best thing that any manager could do, is put themselves on the front of a feel-good wave <laughs> that relates to their history, but also an awful lot of things that have nothing to do with them. Um... And arrive at a club with incredible football players who, for whatever reason, were not performing under the previous manager, whether consciously or not. But that is part of management. And then join the club at a time when the next five games are Huddersfield, Bournemouth, that, Newcastle. That has definitely helped. Reading. For sure. Cardiff. But at the same time, so much of management is about engendering a sense of, of goodwill, of enjoyment. The of, intangibles. Of, right. And Tifo's natural enemy. <laughs> yes, because we can't, because we, we can't, can't explain, explain and quantify it. them, um, and I think you know United is a club that I mean, I, I'm sure all clubs harp on about this, but but this sense of the United way of doing it, a certain kind of style, and and to have that that's why I think any sensibly United have always sought to use former players as coaches, people mm. who understand what it's about, and bringing somebody in who does that, where you've also got Carrick there, you've also got one or two others that are uh, around. How much that, of that is I a lie, helps. though? How much of that is a lie? Because we hear this a lot. We know that Manchester United is this behemoth of a football club, that there's many jokes about it, but they're quite close to the line in the sense that the club put the business before the football, right? We know that they're all about branding and that uh, they've been incredibly successful at it. And the reason that Edward Wood is the CEO is because of the job that he did on the other side of uh, of the company, right? So when we hear about this united way, mm. what does that mean? I mean, I know that loosely it means attacking football and playing quickly. I know that that's loosely what it means. Mm. But it's kind of bullshit, right? I mean, it, 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 it sort of doesn't mean anything other than a kind of a loose sort of brand term so that the fans can feel like they are... Because really well, all it means is good things, good things, and fast good things. Yeah, and then think- when every fan says that... For them, it means something slightly different, right? That's that's probably true. I think there's two things to say. Firstly, that the, the idea of a style of football that a club kind of clings to, and, it, and it's not just United, yeah. obviously. There are certain clubs that you have an association with. Totally. Um, but United What's and that? a fast couple wingers? of others... For, for, honestly, for United, though, the United way... What is that? that? That's fast wingers. That's what I always understood it to be under Ferguson. Yeah. Which no longer applies. No, but it's still in terms of dynamism, verticality, not playing like Louis van Gaal played. Right. Try hard and be quick. Try hard, be quick. Right. Football. Never say die. <laughs> this is what I mean, though. Be football. And I'm not. I'm not. I don't mean to take that take away from but, from from the fans' enjoyment of of that term. No. I'm just saying it's quite it's quite hollow. Isn't but it? but I think I think what's interesting is that that the idea of a brand of football, cricket, rugby, whatever, it's become a term that gets used a lot now yeah. and, and has been maybe I don't know for f- sort of four or five years or so. Like, what's your brand of cricket? What's your brand of rugby? Yeah. United kind of tied themselves to 
that idea of having a brand at all mm. quite a lot longer before this was a generally considered thing. Well, they did it when, when Moyes took over, but it didn't seem to reflect on the pitch. They did it when Van Gaal took over. And didn't. Seem, and the, the, the thing that, what you know... No, no, what, what I mean is they've been it. talking about it, like the, the idea of there the being United a way. way sure. that's, that they, they kind of got on that bandwagon before I think the, a lot of other people did. I think the only reason for that is because Alex Ferguson was there for 26 years. Yeah, I, quite I, possibly. I, I, I'm not manager. saying that that's not the case. I don't know why I'm so angry with you. I don't know either. <laughs> Listen, all I'm saying, right... What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that it... it, 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 I don't agree with that. A red herring for me is is when a club who are are sort of as business savvy as Manchester United take hold of the fan narrative and use it themselves. And you saw, we saw from from Solskjaer as soon as... I don't know, this has got off to a sour foot. But we saw from Solskjaer as soon as he arrived that the terminology that he was using uh, that were very quickly picked up by the newspapers and that contributed to this sort of positive whirlwind of of talking about Manchester United things along the lines of just let the players express themselves express themselves I, it's the sort of thing that comes out of like, not, a, of like a Nike advertising club, boardroom that's, I don't I don't think that's the club I disagree I think I think I, I think if you any think they, manager would say that maybe but if you think that they didn't bring Oli, Oli Solskjaer in have a chat with him and say look this this is this is what you're here to do I think Solskjaer is easily smart enough to have worked that out for himself. Well, then, then it saves them a job. I, I think. <laughs> I think if anything, what, this, is, this is my conspiracy theory. Sure, but I think if if you look at how Manchester United have handled things over the last, well, in in the post Ferguson era, yeah. the one thing that they have not been any good at yeah. is understanding the football and how to communicate what's going on with the football to anybody else. Yeah. So I, I think the idea that Ed Woodward has said to Solskjaer, this is how you need to speak in press conferences, yeah. I don't buy that because I don't think, I don't think they're... they're... It, ties in, it ties in with stuff like that. They, 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 they got rid of Mourinho at a point when the next five games are going to be against easier opposition than Liverpool. Sure, but they also got rid of Mourinho in the aftermath of a couple of particularly sort of tricky Pogba-related yeah. incidents. I'm not saying the it's bad. The timing's not necessarily... I think, I think what's happening is I, I'm confusing my emotions. I'm not saying it's bad. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm inherently suspicious when all of a sudden it, everything's amazing. Sure. That, but, uh, because but, but, because but, it relates to the football side of things as well, right? And so this, this is just a kind of a pointless conversation uh, that we're having around the outskirts of the actual football. Right. Five wins in a row... All of a sudden, the players, and again, we should preface this, preface this by saying that the, the fixtures have been comparatively easier compared to the, the, yeah. the handful that uh, Mourinho was sort of accused of, um, of failing in towards the end of his tenure. However, everything seems to be so much better all of a sudden. Yeah. How do you explain that? Because Solskjaer hasn't had enough time to... to uh, there's the main reason we haven't made a video about it so far is because... What, what is there to say? We, mm. can't, we can't tell what's happening with Solskjaer because there's not been enough games. Right, but, but you're going to ask me what he's done anyway. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to ask you what the players are doing. Yeah. The, the, and I stopped you talking about 10 minutes ago when you'd already started saying this, but what, what is happening? Why is it all of a sudden so much better? For some reason, it makes me annoyed. Okay, well, I, honestly, I think some of it is down to simply picking players in the positions that they're used to playing. And that wasn't happening under Mourinho. But when was Pogba ever played as a ten? When was Pogba played as a ten under Mourinho? No, I just mean ever. Like, I mean, it... um, well, he's 
he's not really been played as a 10. The point that we made when we talked about it yeah. is that Pogba is most effective when he's a right and when he's able to drive forwards particularly into the penalty area mm-hmm. and either play quick passes and use his, his strength to to get onto the received pass or to kind of sit back take long shots and, and you so know we, we looked at how the, he did it the 10 in, in a, this current system is the same as a defensive free role in one of a midfield three at Juventus it's a similar role yeah, to a degree. In terms of responsibilities. Yes, and and that, that, that corridor of the sort of left half space, particularly around the edge of the box yeah. and then cutting in a little bit, yeah. that is sort of where he played at Juventus, bearing in mind that Juventus were playing as a 3-5-2, yeah. so there was inherently more defensive cover anyway, yeah. and that meant that he could push up into that role. Okay. And all we said was, you know, look at Pogba's defining performance last season arguably was in the Manchester derby where he was pushed up and was able to break late into the box and score a couple of goals. Yeah. So all you need to do to a degree, and it's not all you need to do, but you need to look at who have you got available Uh and where are they most used to playing and how can we create a situation in which that player feels like they are being entrusted with the responsibility of playing where they want to play rather Uh than being shoehorned into a role where they feel uncomfortable they feel that they're not able to express themselves properly so it's mainly about Pogba then I think it's a lot to do with Pogba because yes. because there aren't that many examples of other players who are sort of shoehorned in I mean but but he's given he's given Martial and Rashford mm-hmm. basically the freedom of whatever sure uh, that, what, so what exactly does that mean that, that, does that mean that under Mourinho that they again had defensive responsibilities which curtailed them from being well, but they free and available up they front. weren't often being played together were they under Mourinho and well uh, unle- r- other than when Lukaku was injured towards the end right yeah um, <clears throat> I, I think I think to me from watching and, and like you say it's really difficult to tell yeah. when you're only a few games in and none of those games have been real tests yeah but Spurs of the weekend right that'll be the first one yeah I think what we are seeing more of, if you, if you were to say in one sentence, what are they doing now that they weren't doing under Mourinho? They're doing the United way. <laughs> no, come on. Ask a sensible question, wait mm-hmm. for a sensible answer. Mm-hmm. It, they are making a lot more vertical runs, yeah. either beyond the last man or dropping into space to receive a pass and then either turn and pass it on or... Yeah. There's there's more movement between the lines. Undoubtedly, the football is better. I mean, I'm thinking I yeah. can't remember which game it was, but that Anthony Martial goal with the sort of the crisscrossing of passes through the that back line. That was fantastic. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. But but I think that to me is is likely to be a, a difference in instruction because I think if you're Mourinho, what you're saying is keep it solid, look for an option where you retain possession rather than be constantly moving around and showing for the ball and then trying a risky pass, which, you know, if it comes off, you get a beautiful interchange and a goal. And if it doesn't come off, you lose possession. And that cautious, and I think this is where you get the cycle of the breakdown of trust, where the players don't trust Mourinho to make the right calls because they're playing stodgy football. Mourinho doesn't trust the players not to make mistakes, so he encourages stodgier football. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get that thing where you end up playing eight defensive midfielders and 
getting nil-nil draws. Okay, sensible question. Uh, Rashford and Martial, as you pointed out, uh, played, I think, the majority of Solskjaer's games so far simply because Lukaku and Sanchez were injured. Both have now returned to action. Both have now featured in action. Um, It it becomes a slightly harder choice when this happens, doesn't it? Because Rashford particularly, and we should also point out, I think, I'm not sure now because Pogba scored so many, we scored 100 goals in the last month, hasn't he? But uh, Martial was Manchester United's Prior to Mourinho's dismissal, he was their top scorer. Yeah, he was having having a good season. Rashford, uh, again, if we go back to the sort of intangible Man United values thing, just seems to be the total epitome of that. Yeah, and he's everyone's favourite player in the world. Yeah, um, Lukaku and Sanchez have struggled at times this season. Yeah, and look off the pace. What would you do if you were Solskjaer now that you have all four available options and that you're committed to playing Pogba in the ten? Yes, because you've only got three slots there. And Rashford looked pretty good up the middle, didn't he? I, you don't drop Rashford and Martial, right. in my opinion. Right. And you also don't drop Lingard. Right. I think if you can keep that as your kind of attacking four, yeah. uh, Martial, Rashford, Lingard, Pogba. You've got, I mean... That's what you do. You've got eight years of that, if no one left. Right. And I think... I mean, I, I agree with you about Rashford particularly. Yeah. That there's... You know, he's a very quiet guy. He's a very self-effacing guy, but... He buys into what's going on there. Um, He's a fan. Lingard, I think, is probably the most intelligent off the ball or without the ball in terms of pressing, in terms of movement. Um, Martial is a very dynamic, very exciting player, and Pogba is Pogba. Uh, I would get rid of Alexis Sanchez uh, for as much money as you can get for him from somebody. I wouldn't care who. Yeah. Uh, and Lukaku is a really good plan B option to bring off the bench. Right. I mean, he presumably, this is another conversation for another time, but unlikely to be happy with that, right? If that were the case. Uh, yeah. He, that player is is a first-team starter at most clubs in the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so. But he's not at most clubs at the world. No. And, and that's where I think <clears throat> someone like Solskjaer might have an advantage over Mourinho in that he might be able to persuade him for the time being, this is what we need you for. And yeah. and there will be games where, you know, look at when Lukaku was deployed on the right-hand side for Belgium in whichever game it was, I can't remember. And he was superb uh, yeah. not playing as a central striker. Yeah. So there are tactical variations that you can employ Lukaku for. In certain games, he will be crucial. Yeah. But I think particularly in the Premier League at the moment that's got to be the front four that you start with mm. because they're all playing so well at the moment. Mm. And why would you upset that unless you particularly needed to? Yeah, yeah. Sanchez, I think, is a waste of space now. I, I just don't think he cares Goodness me. anymore. Well, I'm, I mean, all reports Which is very suggest that, uh, that he's a more G'd up than ever. Well, that's, I mean, I don't know. He When he was at Arsenal, he seemed to be... I mean, he almost seemed to care too much, didn't he? Sure. Because he used to get really stroppy about things. But he's been off the boil for so long now yeah. that, uh, okay, maybe the change of, of manager is important. But again, I don't I don't see that a player that has stalled that much over that period of time and also is significantly older should be given the opportunity ahead of players that are currently in form and also have a massive upside in terms of their development. I mean, if you consider that... I mean, he has been playing on the right, I think, for for United at times, but predominantly, particularly with Arsenal, he played on the left. Yeah. Um, And if you would consider 
dropping him, dropping Martial for him at the moment. That that seems like an odd. That's thing to bonkers. Do. And also, like I said, I think Lingard is yeah. one of those people that you you don't drop in the same way that that Willian and Pedro are so important for Chelsea. Yeah. Um, you know, Lingard just brings that intelligence and that movement um, yeah. to what United do that allows the others to have the space to perform. And and okay. I, you know. I, I well, that's all of Manchester covered Brilliant. and one bit of Liverpool. Uh, so uh, that's the end of today's podcast. Uh, we won't be back next week, incidentally, because um, uh, we're doing another podcast this week. And I'll be doing it with Seb Stepper-Bloor, who is TIFO's content editor. Uh, we're going to talk all about Tottenham Hotspur. Yes, we are. Yeah, and that's going to be exciting. We're going to talk about uh, the stadium. We're going to talk about this sort of Maurizio Pochettino linked with Manchester United thing. Uh, we're going to talk about what do Spurs have to do? What do they have to do? What do they have to do? Yeah. To win Stop a football league. It. Well, okay. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll put that to him. Uh, <laughs> a couple of other things to mention. Uh, the first is, uh, I just wanted to say a quick thank you uh, to the folks over at Mundial, which is a wonderful, it is quarterly, isn't it, this magazine? Yeah. And it, you know what? It looks it. You know, do you know what? Do you know what I mean? When you say a quarterly magazine, and then you say it looks it's got heft. It's got heft. It's got wonderful design. It's um, glossy. The Mundial guys sent sent us over a couple of of Mundial magazines, of which I have flicked through before, and they are absolutely delightful. We've got two different uh, covers here. Um, it really is. Issue. This is issue sixteen. What a year! Eh? Wow, twenty eighteen. Yeah. Uh, but thank you to those guys. If you've got the time and the money. Do check out Mundial. Absolutely fantastic magazine. Uh, Joseph Fox and Orlando Gilly have done a lovely book here called Que Sera Sera, ah. which is uh, photographs of early rounds of the FA Cup. Mm. Um, and it's very pretty. It's very nicely laid out. Mm. And if you like photographs of the FA Cup, mm. then, you know, there, there are a couple of really nice photo books um, out there there's one called Beyond the Turnstiles as well which is great and I this, love that front cover this is a lovely addition to that as it fades to black much, yeah. much like the FA Cup it's good and it, it, it's got lovely Tifo yellow front these, cover there. these are not teams that you would necessarily be spending a lot of time with otherwise but they like, are the more photogenic teams aren't they uh, Worthing. Northwood Town Hayes and Yedding St Albans City I've always said that about St Albans City that they're a very photogenic team Yes, they really are. <laughs> no, no, they, so this, is, really this is a lovely book. I can't do this, can I? Because you can, you're rubbish at my this. cynicism. Just comes through, and it make, makes it sound like everything we're talking about is shit. They're really not. They're, they're, they're no. de- delightful things. You just have that kind of like to yeah. your voice. Do you know what I? Uh, I said to, um, I said I don't live with my partner, but to her uh, flatmate. Uh, last night, I sort of acknowledged that I'd been there quite a lot over Christmas. Yeah. And you know how you have that thing with uh, with uh, flatmates of your partner if if you're if you're not living together that you don't want to sort of spend more than half the week there. Yeah. Because it's, you know, I've been spending you're quite, kind of annoying. I've been yeah. spending quite a lot of time there, and I am annoying. And I sort of said to him, "Oh, sorry for uh, you know, sorry for having accidentally moved into your house." And he said, "Oh, don't you know, don't worry about it." And I said, "Thank you for being so accommodating." But I said it in a way that made it sound like I didn't mean it. And he just looked at me for a second and then went, yeah, no way. But it yeah. sounded like I was being really sarcastic and rude. Yeah. And, I, and I wasn't. No. But I, I don't I know just, what to do with that. So again, just, the Mundial magazine is, is lovely. This FA Cup photographs. 
Love it's lovely. There you go. You see, you're just I digging. Don't know what you're to just do. digging your hole. I let's, can't do let's it. just finish it. Yeah. Okay. Well, as I said, no podcast next week, but two weeks I'll be back with Alex. Uh, and if you want to listen on Friday or Thursday of this week, I think it probably will be Friday. Uh, I will be talking to Seb Stafford Blore, all things Tottenham. So avoid that if you are an Arsenal fan. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and uh, I hope you have a lovely new year. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Right. I have to go. I have to go. But I have to do that thing. Oh, fuck, it's At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.